Well, well, good morning, NFCF. <laughs> you're probably wondering why you're getting a little, I'm getting sick of hearing me talk at this point. Um, our amazing, fearless leader, our shepherd, Pastor Randy, had a procedure done, and it ended up being a little bit more complicated than they thought. He is home. He is doing much better. But can you give me a nice wide shot, Chuck, if you don't mind? If you love our shepherd and you just want to thank him for loving on this church, can you just stick your hands up and on the count of three say we love you, Pastor Randy. One, two, three. All right, rest up, boss. And so on, I guess it was sometime on Friday, uh, a call a call went out, a somewhat delirious, heavy narcotic-filled lead pastor. <laughs> Uh, and, and shared that he did not believe he would be able to be here. And Pastor right. Kim said, I'm going to bring the word. And I, oh, don't you love it? Isn't she incredible, this lady? I said, what? <laughs> That's what I said. So keep it going and tell Pastor Kim you love her. She's got a word from God this morning. I'll, I'll say this real quick. Um, all through different points, all through different points of our, our days and our week, things that happen, and we're like, how did this happen or what? All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I believe that God has a word for us this morning. Amen. And who needs to be here is going to hear, and this word is going to change us. Amen. Amen. Tell Pastor Kim you love her because she's awesome. Okay. <laughs> I love him. Yeah, it was Friday. I'd just gotten back from vacation Thursday night, and, uh, and I thought I had a couple days until Sunday, and then he calls, and, and he says, I don't think I'm going to make it. I said, what did you say? What? That's not what you said. Um, so, such a late notice, my option was to kind of go back into the archives, go back through some messages I've done in the past, and, and choose one, and I thought, well, which one you know, do, do I choose, and what would be relevant, and I thought, well, you know, Britney Spears has been in the news a lot, and I did this message called, oops, I did it again so just kind of made sense right so that's where we are today oops I did it again so let me start with a question for you do you remember the first time that you were aware of having committed a sin very first time in your life I remember I was like four years old and you're probably thinking how in the world did you know at four years old that you had sinned, you know, at such a young age? Did, did you grow up in some kind of a weird, super, uber, overly religious, strict home? Well, not at all. That wasn't the case at all. I didn't even know what the Ten Commandments were at that time, and I didn't learn the Ten Commandments until later in life. And even then, I learned the West Virginia version of the Ten Commandments. Are you aware of those? Here, let me, let me share them with you. They go like this. <clears throat> Ain't but one God. Honor your mom and your pa. Don't be telling those stories. Get your hide at Sunday meeting. No fooling around with somebody that's already hitched. Go, no killing except for critters, that's okay. And uh, quit your foul-mouthing. No swiping your kinfolk stuff. And no, don't be hankering for it either. And if you notice, the West Virginia version only has nine. So I was about five years old when I knew that I had sinned. I remember I was on the back porch of our house. My mom had this can of paint and a paintbrush out there, and then she went inside for some reason. And I don't know if she was painting a chair or something, you know, but oh my goodness, that was so tempting, that paint and that paintbrush. So I picked it up and I started painting the house, the side of the house. Well, by the time my mom had returned, I had moved on to something else. So she comes out and she looks at the wall and she looks at me. And she says, did you paint the wall? Now, I'm the only one there. <laughs> Nobody else for miles. 
and I probably had paint all over me, but I looked, looked her straight in the eye, and I said, no. <laughs> I lied. I lied to my mom. I lied because suddenly I just became afraid of getting in trouble. And I think even more than that, I was afraid of my mom being upset with me, disappointed in me. That ended up kind of being a fear that I carried throughout a lot of my life, that fear of disappointing people, upsetting someone. So what, what had happened is my, my line was just this act of self-preservation. So my mom, this is the weird thing, she didn't take any further issue with this. She didn't confront me in any way. And I remember thinking, well, she must have known I did it and that I was lying, but she didn't do anything about it. So I got away with it, or did I? You see, even though I didn't get in trouble, I remember feeling so guilty because I bold-faced lied to my mom. And you see, feelings of guilt will always produce separation for us. I felt uncomfortable wondering what she really knew and what she was thinking about me, you know? So this choice, without realizing it, it had created this emotional distance and a discomfort with my mom. And because I didn't get caught, it made it easier to lie again the next time when I felt I needed to do it. Oops, I did it again. So fast forward now, I'm in elementary school. It's a Saturday afternoon and all the kids were riding our banana bikes in the neighborhood. My dad was helping the neighbor do something outside and he was in charge of us for some reason. And he says to us, he says, kids, do not ride your bikes on Cherry Hill. It's dangerous. Don't go there. So all of us kids, we said, okay, okay. But then I pulled my twin brother and the neighborhood kid aside, and I said, I want to ride my bike on Cherry Hill. I haven't been yet. You guys have been. I haven't been. Please take me. Please take me. But they reminded me. God's, uh, Dad said, no, do not ride your bikes on Cherry Hill. So I did the only thing I knew to do. I called them chickens. Because <laughs> I knew that boys did not like to be called chickens. So we rode our bikes on Cherry Hill. Dad said, don't. I did, and boy did I, let me tell you, I wiped out on Cherry Hill because it really was this dangerous dirt road with all these ruts, really steep. My handlebars started going like this. I wiped out. I had cuts and scrapes all over me, tore my knee up, but worse was this huge gash in the side of my leg that took 11 stitches. Blood was everywhere. I remember my dad's face turning just white when he saw it. To this day, I carry a big, ugly scar right here to remind me of my rebellion. <laughs> now, here comes the oops, I did it again part. I arrive back home again, a bloody mess, crying, and what does my dad ask me? Did you go to Cherry Hill? I looked him straight in the eye. I pointed to my twin brother, and I said, he made me go! He made, and then I cried really hard, you know? Why did I lie? I was afraid of getting in trouble. But more so, I was afraid of my dad being upset with me and being disappointed in me. Self-preservation had kicked in once again. And you know what my brother said? Absolutely nothing. I got away with it. Or did I? I mean, I felt terribly guilty not only for lying now, but shifting the blame and telling a lie, saying it was my brother when he was completely innocent. And feelings of guilt 
produce what? Separation. So I had a lot of discomfort and distance for a long time with this person who'd been my best friend. And then because I didn't get caught, made it a lot easier the next time. Once again, when this need for self-preservation kicked in. Oops, I did it again. Well, today's message isn't about lying. It's actually about this, confession. Confession. You know, confession is a word that I think it probably conjures up a, a lot of various ideas, different ideas for each of us. I mean, for most of us or for many, we probably get that image of entering into a little booth uh, where we say to the man in the other little booth next and, you know, across the screen, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. We think of it as a religious word for religious people. But is it? Is that really? Is it possible that there's something more to this word? There's something much deeper with this word, something that it's not for religious types, but it's for all human beings everywhere. Look at this verse from the New Testament book of Romans. The apostle Paul, he wrote a letter to the Romans, and in it he said this. He says, do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed, be changed. Well, how? How are we to be changed? By the renewing of your mind, your mind. You see, I think that's one of the most powerful verses in all of scripture. And it's so powerful because it tells us that there's this direct correlation between how we think and how we live our lives. Anytime you and I desire to make some kind of change in our life, it all starts right here with how we think. And we definitely need to think differently about this, this concept, this idea of confession. You see, it's so much more than a religious practice for religious people. Confession, folks, it is a soul-healing practice for all human beings who long to be better people, live better lives, and have better relationships. That's what confession is. And it actually starts now with a better understanding of sin. Before we can understand confession, we've got to get a really strong and better understanding of sin because when it comes to this thing called sin, we've got a lot of misunderstandings about it. Things like this, misunderstanding number one. We have this tendency to think to sin is to make a mistake. Sin and mistake go hand in hand. How many times have we seen celebrities or, or politicians, famous people in front of a camera on the TV and they admit some really, really bad things they've done and they refer to their serious, hurtful, damaging behaviors as mistakes. You know, I'm sorry I made a mistake. I'm pretty sure the only thing they're really sorry about is having got caught. And, and their only mistake was thinking that they could get away with what they had done without causing a whole lot of pain and heartache and irreparable damage. You see, if a mistake, it means that you had insufficient knowledge. You know, it, it's something that happens unintentionally by accident. Kind of like, oops, I used the wrong detergent in my dishwasher, and so now I've got suds all over my kitchen floor. Not, oops, I accidentally had an affair with the nanny, you know? Or, or oops, I accidentally, accidentally was sexting with the office intern. There's a bigger, stronger word that's needed for some offenses, and that word is sin. Sin and mistakes are not the same thing. You see, mistakes need correcting, 
But sins, they need confessing. Big, big difference. And so that brings us to misunderstanding number two, which is this. Sin is what religious people call breaking one of God's rules. Breaking one of God's rules. You see, there's this misbelief. It goes something like this, that when God created humans, he chose to just kind of make up a bunch of arbitrary rules because, well, just, just because he's God. And that's what God does to make sure that we don't have fun in life. You know, all the rules are to keep us from having fun. Furthermore, when you break these made-up, senseless, imposed rules, well, then you're going to get punished. Break enough rules, often enough, you're going to go to hell someday. A couple years ago, I was leading a growth group here at FCF, and, and someone who was really new to the church and, and um, new to faith, she, she asked this question. She was like, so, okay, look, just what are the rules can someone just give me a list of them so I, I know what to do? And I, and I had to explain that the Christian life isn't about just following a bunch of rules or laws. It, it, it's about putting our trust in the one who created us and died for us. Learning how it is that he designed us to live, how he designed life. Learning to live in union with him and in harmony with the way that he's designed us. That's what the Christian life is about. You see, when God created the physical universe, I find this just fascinating. He established some operating principles. Now, I think it's pretty cool that when science discovers these operating principles, they actually call them laws, right? We have the law of gravity, right? We have the law of thermodynamics. They're not arbitrary. They are the governing laws that hold everything together. If I jump off a high-rise building, Am I breaking the law of gravity? Or does the law of gravity break me? Right? And it's the same, folks. It's the same with God's moral laws. They're not arbitrary. They're based on what, the way that God designed human beings. They're the operating principles that hold us together and hold our relationships together. They keep us in harmony with our creator. They keep us in harmony with one another and even with ourselves. And that's why when we break the laws of humanity's design, we get broken. And, and too often, far too often, others get broken by the choices we've made as well. You see, sin is far more than simply breaking a rule. Sin is choosing to live a, a way that is inconsistent with the way God designed us to live. It's stepping away from the creator and, and it's just basically saying, I think I think I got this, God. I know a better way. My way is better than your way. I don't care how you made me. I'm making my own way. A really super simple uh, but accurate definition of sin is just the word self. Self. It's about me going my own way, doing my own thing to please and protect myself. Self-gratification and self-preservation. Pastor Randy shares that with us so often. God's ways, his laws or commands, whatever you want to call them, they're simply there for us to understand how it is that he has designed us, how, is, how he's designed life on this planet. They come from a loving creator who wants to protect us from harmful choices and help us discover the way that we're meant to live. I mean, here, here's a real simple little example. You know, God designed relationships for honest communication, not for lying, Honesty, it builds and it strengthens the relationship. It brings people closer together because they're able to trust one another. But lying, 
it just tears apart and weakens a relationship. It breeds uncertainty and distrust and then it builds up walls of protection and isolation. There's nothing religious or arbitrary about that at all. Lying is a sin because we cannot function in that kind of environment and expect to be healthy and experience good things in life. It just won't happen. So let's check out misunderstanding number three. Sins are wrong actions that we should not do. You see, sin isn't just something wrong that we do. Sin is a condition that we, we're suffering from, folks. It's something that we're infected with. The scriptures refer to our sinful nature, and it's this tendency we have towards self, to want to go our own way, do our own things, instead of the way the Creator designed and even the so-called best Christians, you could say, struggle with the sinful nature. I mean, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he wrote like 13 books of the New Testament, but listen to his struggle. He says, I don't understand why I act the way I do. I don't do what I know is right. I do the things I hate. I know that my selfish desires, there it is, won't let me do anything that is good. Selfish do not, desires do not lead to good. Instead of doing what I know is right, I do wrong. He goes on, with my whole heart, I agree with the law of God, but in every part of me, I discover something fighting against, where's the fighting against? My mind, fighting against my mind, trying to trick me, deceive me. It makes me a prisoner of sin that controls everything I do. And he ends with, what a miserable person I am. Who will rescue me? Thank God. Thank God Jesus Christ will rescue me. You see, we tend to think that when we are in control of our lives because we do what we want to do, when we want to do it, and how we want to do it. I'm in control. But we're being deceived. We're not in control. We are being controlled. And we're being held hostage and controlled by this terminal condition called sin but it does not have to be that way see there's someone who wants to rescue us rescue us from a life that's dominated by sin and self and he's gone to great lengths to free us out of love our creator gave us life and out of love our creator Jesus gave his life for us and first Peter says this, it says, he carried our sins in his own body when he died on a cross. In doing this, we may be dead to sin and alive to all that is good, right, and good. His wounds have healed you. His wounds have healed me. Well, how, how's that happen? You see, when, when we see the depth of his love as it's displayed on the cross, our hearts, our desires to return to him and trust and determining that we will follow the one who created us and loves us. And it's then that our minds are renewed. We see life totally different now. And it's then that we are rescued from a life that's dominated, that's dominated by this sin and selfish living. But you know, I said this message was actually about confession, right? It's not about sin, but we had to lay some groundwork to get to this idea now of confession. And, and just like sin, we need a better understanding of confession because we have, again, some misunderstanding. So let's look again at misunderstanding number one. It's this. Confession is about getting my sin bucket emptied or my slate white clean. I think this is a predominant thought that many of us have, whether we've actually thought it through or right. 
thought it through or not. So many of us have this idea that God wants us to confess when we've done something wrong so that he can forgive us. And then we can go out and we can sin some more, right? It's as if confession is just this weird little dance we do with God, you know, or we do for him to appease him in some way. He says, all right, confess what you did. Okay, you're forgiven. Come back when you sin again. I mean, does that make any sense? I mean, is the one who created all the universe not more intelligent than that? Is that the way you would parent your children? Inherent in this misunderstanding is that confession is something we do just so we can go to heaven. You know, we hear things like confess your sins and you will be saved, and we think saved means nothing more than you get to go to heaven one day. But salvation, folks, it is far more than getting to go to heaven one day. Salvation means healing, healing right here, right now. It's about our lives and our world being rescued and healed from the damage and destruction of sin. So confession, it isn't about getting your bucket emptied or your slate wiped clean. It's about being changed, changed, being transformed. How? Right here by the renewing of your mind. I'm returning to you, God, and I'm trusting you in your way of life because it's a far better way. It's the best way. It's the way you designed me to live. Your ways are good and right for me and for the whole universe, the whole universe that will one day be totally governed by your truth and your love. Misunderstanding number two says this. Confession is about apologizing and saying, I'm sorry. To confess is just to say, I'm sorry. Do we have any Big Bang theories in here? And I don't mean the theory, of, uh, theory, but like the actual TV show, you know, anybody? Big Bang theories, I love Big Bang. I just watch all the repeats over and over and over again. I can say all the lines, you know, I got them down. But and for those of you who don't, the main character in it is Sheldon, and Sheldon is a genius, so it is inconceivable to him that he could ever possibly be wrong about anything. So in one episode, he has a conflict with his mom, and he ends up apologizing, but he only apologized because he wanted to make some fried chicken for him. So his apology went like this. He says, but I said I was sorry, and that was really hard because I didn't do anything wrong. Great apology, right? But I wonder, you guys are laughing, but how many of you, that's what you're, you think that second part, right? You say to, you know, somebody, you're like, I'm so sorry, even though I didn't do anything wrong, right? Right? Confession isn't about saying we're sorry so we can get some forgiveness and move on. It's about acknowledging that what we did was wrong, agreeing with God that it was wrong. At best, it was not good for us, but at worst, we hurt someone else. Sin. There's a gal who wrote a book called The Art of the Public Grovel, and she wrote it uh, a few years back in the wake of the numerous public confessions by fallen politicians. You know, we went through a trail of them there for a while, sports figures and, and so forth. And she kind of offers this helpful distinction between an apology and a confession. So she says this. She says, an apology is an expression of regret. I'm sorry. A confession, much different, an admission of fault. I am sorry because I did wrong. I sinned. That's way different, right? 
She goes on to say an apology, it addresses an audience, but confession, it implies an inner change that will be manifested in an outward action. Simply saying we're sorry is not a confession. So let's look at misunderstanding number three. This is, confession is about explaining why I did it. Explaining myself, you know. It's so easy for us to explain away our wrongdoing, isn't it? It's so easy to minimize it. Wasn't that big of a deal? It's so easy to rationalize it and justify it. It's so easy to put the blame on someone else. He made me ride my bike down Cherry Hill. Too often, we acknowledge our sin, but then we just proceed to explain it all away, explain how it wasn't our fault. Explaining why we did something doesn't help at all. Understanding why we did what we did, no, that's a different story. That can help tremendously. You see, explaining why is about making excuses, and it's to help make ourselves look better, you know, or, or not look as bad. But understanding why is about addressing the deeper problems and issues inside the soul so that we can actually become better people. Not just look better, but become better. Be healed from this sickness in our souls inside of us. There's an author by the name of Christopher Ash. Man, he gives this really, really powerful illustration. And it's so powerful, I'm going to take a drink of water before I tell you what it is, okay? Because I don't want to mess it up. And I'm... Okay, he says, suppose I hold a glass of water and I shake it and water spills out. And then I ask you, why did water spill out? Well, what's the common answer? Because I shook the glass. He says, but there's, he says, that's correct, but there's actually a better answer. And the better answer is this, water came out because water is what was inside the glass. If there hadn't been water in the glass in the first place, no water would have come out of the glass when it was shaken. Sure, it came out because it was shaken, but water came out because water is what was inside the glass. Now think about that. So if someone asked, why did you do what you did? We might say, well, it was because I was tempted. You, you wouldn't see what was, what was out there. It was just too tempting or, or the pressure. Do you know the pressure I was under? Or, man, I was just tired, or I was stressed, or I was hangry, I couldn't help it. One thing led to another. My equilibrium was disturbed by outside influences, things that happened to me. I was shaken. But the reality is that what is inside of me is what came out. And that's where I need healing. Psalm 51 is a, it's basically a prayer of confession that King David uh, had written out, a prayer he prayed of confession. And, and in it, I, I urge you so much, encourage you to read it on your own. Uh, but basically what he's saying in there, he's saying, I committed adultery because there's adultery in my heart. It wasn't about these outward circumstances, that's what's in my heart. I tried to cover it up because there's pride in my heart. I murdered because love of self and hatred of others is in my heart. In the Gospel of Luke, it's recorded that Jesus said it this way. He says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of it. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth can't speak 
anything that's not here already in our hearts. Our words and even our actions, they flow, folks, from what's inside our hearts. So confession isn't about explaining away what we did. It's about looking deep into our souls and acknowledging what's really, really there. That's the beginning of healing, the first step of healing. So here's one more misunderstanding. If I confess it, I won't do it again. Now, we laugh because we all know how silly that is, right? Because how many times do we confess the same thing? Over and oops, I did it again. You see, confession alone is not enough. Confession alone, it puts me in the oops cycle. Here's the oops cycle. I sin, and then I confess it, and then I feel a little bit better. But then, oops, I do it again. So, So I sin again, and then I confess it, and then I feel a little bit, oops, I did it again. That's the oops cycle. By itself, the most that confession can do is just relieve us of some guilt and make us feel a little bit better for just a little while. Until, oops, I did it again. So you see, in order to experience the benefits that God intends for us, in order to truly be renewed and changed, you and I, we need to attach our confession to something, something that is really, really important, and it's this, repentance. Repentance. The Apostle Paul, he kind of explained this to the Corinthian followers. He says, godly sorrow, that's what brings repentance. Not just, I'm sorry, but a deep, godly sorrow. And that leads to salvation, healing, being rescued. And that leaves no regret. You see, godly sorrow, it's this awareness of just the gravity of our sin, how serious it really is, how hurtful and damaging it is, or it will be if we let it continue. And that's why godly sorrow, it leads us to repent. When I can really see it and experience the gravity, man, I want to turn and go the other way. I don't want to stay in that direction where there's so much damage and harm that can be done. Instead of doing life my way, looking out for myself, I'm going to do life God's way, the good way, the loving way, the best way that there is. You see, I might confess the sin of lying, but until I experience godly sorrow over this sin and I decide to stop and turn around and choose the way of honesty now, it means nothing because I'll just continue into the cycle. Oops, I did it again. And I will continue to be held hostage by a sin that hurts me and hurts other people too. So to repent, it's to make this decision that this way is no longer an option. Nope, no longer an option for me. Today, right here, right now, I'm choosing a new way, a better way, a good way, God's way. You see, to repent is to shoot the cow. Thank you. Let's shoot the cow. Several years ago, our staff, staff email was sent out, and, and in the, the subject line, it said cow shooting. Like, what the heck? Are we back in West Virginia? You know, cow shooting. And so here's what the email said. It said, the farmer who maintains our land just called. Some guy named Jose may be on our property sometime today shooting his cow that got out and is apparently seriously spooked and aggressive. He's talked to the sheriff's department. He's afraid that he's going to, she's going to hurt someone or run out into the road or something. So the plan 
is to go ahead and put her down. Now, when you first hear that, it's like, really? I mean, is, was, was that really necessary? I mean, come on, that seems like some pretty drastic measures, doesn't it? I have no doubt that for that farmer, that was an extremely difficult decision to make. But here's the thing. It was the necessary action to take so that further damage could not be done. The potential was too great. You see, confession acknowledges that something is not good, that it's harmful to us and others, but it's repentance that makes the determination that the hurtful and harmful way is no longer an option for me. We're taking the necessary action to shoot the cow before it can do any more damage. So here's a really, really important question for all of us. What's the cow that needs shooting in my life? You know, what's the cow? What, what's the cow that you've left roaming around that has the potential to do some real serious damage because you haven't been willing to do what is really needed? You're not willing to shoot it because you're thinking, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Come on. It, it couldn't do that much damage. And besides, God, God understands. He knows my heart. God loves me and accepts me just as I am. And so it continues to just go unattended, roaming freely, capable to do serious damage at any time. What's it going to take before we finally say, this is no longer an option in my life. I'm shooting the cow today. Until we attach repentance to our confession, the best folks, the best we will ever experience in this life is just a little bit of relief of guilt from time to time. And then we will continue to live in the oops cycle. Oops, I did it again. Oops, I did it again. Guilt and separation. Feel better for a little bit? Guilt than separation. In the fourth chapter of John's gospel, we read about an interaction Jesus had with a woman at a well. And um, she was drawing water at noon. So the question is like, well, why would, why would she go at the hottest time of day? Well, it was to avoid other people. Well, why, why did she want to avoid other people? Well, because she carried so much guilt and shame. Well, why did she carry so much guilt and shame? Well, it was because of her sinful past and the sinful way she was living her life now. So she goes to the well at noon on this particular day. She has no idea that she has a divine, a divine appointment with Jesus, her creator and her savior. So at one point in this conversation, it's quite a lengthy conversation they have, but Jesus tells her that she could ask him for some living water if she wanted to, a kind of water that would cause her to never thirst again. And she's like, yes, please give me some of that water so I don't ever have to come to this well again. So I can basically just stay hidden away, buried underneath my guilt and shame because that's the best she thought she could ever hope for in her life at that point. Now, when we think about a response to that, we think about our God and how loving he is and how full of grace he is. So we would expect him to say something like, my child, I love you and accept you just as you are. He might even sing Billy Joel. I love you just the way. And, and then he basically, thank you, Pesby. And then uh, and he says, here's your living water. Go in peace now. You know, that's what we would think because we're all about, you know, grace and everything. 
But Jesus says something very different than that. Instead, he chooses to address the issue that brought her to the well at noon, the painful truth. So he says, he says go call your husband and then come back. She says, well, I, um, I, ha- I have no husband. And then it's as if he just pours salt into the wound. And he says this to her. He says, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Ouch. Man. I mean, that's, that's like harsh, isn't it? I mean, come on, Jesus. Was, was that necessary to do to this woman, to say to this woman? Was it harsh, or was it the most loving thing Jesus could do for her? You see, why would Jesus say those words to this woman? Because the pathway to freedom from her guilt and shame was through confession and repentance. The pathway to freedom from her guilt and shame would only come through acknowledging, owning, facing her sin, and then turning away from it, no longer allowing it to be an option, choosing a new way to live. That was the only way it would be possible. And Jesus comes offering you and me this same living water today. You see, he wants to satisfy a deep spiritual need in each one of us. Our need to be free from guilt and shame. Our need to be free from the sin that's holding us hostage and causing the guilt and the shame. So, so how do we get ourselves some of this living water? Well, I've got two H's and an O for you, okay? The first H is this. It's through an honest and deep look inside our souls. It won't be easy. Basically, what cow am I allowing to to roam loose that is causing damage? And it's a cow that I'm minimizing, I'm justifying, I'm rationalizing, or maybe I'm even flat out ignoring it. And is my heart tender and soft enough toward God to experience godly sorrow over it, to have myself go there? Am I willing to do that hard work? It won't be easy at all. But a loving God who is for you promises that he will also be with you as you take that hard step. The other H we need is this, a heightened awareness of what needs confessing on a daily basis. You see, I think it's, it's rare that we actually confess our sins, isn't it? I mean, or, or we sort of do it in the generic way. Dear Lord, please forgive me for all the sins I committed today. Because all we want is forgiveness. And he's like, no, 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 I, I, your forgiveness, yeah, I got that. You need to confess it and you need to do it specifically. Call it out. So actually, even moment to moment, not even just daily, it's our words, our actions, even our thoughts that need immediate attention so that confession becomes our quick response. So it's like a reflex. Rather than thinking it's not a big deal, we deal with it now because we know how important it is so that we don't one day end up with a cow on the loose that needs shooting. If we put these two H's into practice, they'll do something for us. Folks, they'll open the door to a whole new kind of life. 
You see, instead of carrying the guilt and the shame that, that separate us from God, we will be able to draw near to him, to our creator and our savior. We will experience a new level of closeness, a depth in our relationship with him like we've never known before as we experience in a very personal and deep way his mercy, his grace, his kindness and goodness and his love like never before. And you see, as we draw near to Jesus we're changed. Jesus changes everything. And as we draw near to him, our lives are changed inwardly and outwardly. We'll discover what it's like truly to have inner peace. Who wouldn't like some inner peace, right? We will feel better on the inside. It will be easier to be me, to be in this skin of mine. And then outwardly, we will also discover that we'll have better, stronger, and healthier relationships because we're gonna experience a greater harmony and closeness in our relationship as we, we not only say, I'm sorry, but we have now the strength and the courage to say, I was wrong. I was wrong. So just like the woman at the well, folks, today it's a divine appointment with Jesus for each one of us, our creator and our savior. And today, right now, right here, right now, it's an opportunity to have a life altering encounter with him by embracing his truths about confession and repentance he's offering each one of us today right here right now living water living water so the big question for each of us do you want what he has to offer you today do you want it let's pray Lord God, you are so good, so kind, so loving. Where would we be without your goodness, your mercy, and your grace? But God, we thank you for your truth today that takes it all deeper. You've given us a deeper understanding of what is needed in our lives, these truths about confession and repentance. And so you come today offering us this living water. God, how I hope and pray that every single person it's just the cry in their heart is right now is, yes, Lord, I want your living water. I want it. May we be people who are changed today because of you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.